you have your Bibles, uh, you can turn to Luke. We're going to end up in Luke chapter 19, Luke chapter 19 uh, today. We continue our series. It's week two of our series, No Strings Attached. And in this series, we are discussing and looking at Um, why we do community ministry, why we do things the way that we do, to whom we serve and how we serve and why we serve. We're taking a look at that. And today, uh, we're going to be taking a look at exactly what just happened here on stage. Um, This was God's plan. this, This message has morphed two or three times, but I knew that I wanted to talk about the next generation and, and passing the torch on to the next generation on today, this Sunday. And um, just what a great picture of what we're going to be talking about that just took place here. It's really amazing. Um, we as a church are sending someone from the, the next generation to go serve. And my prayer is, is they would raise up people, Gino and Andrew would raise up people for, from the next generation for the following generation. That's what we should be all about as a church. What a great privilege it is when we can pass the torch, when we can carry that baton and hand it off to someone else to take it. And I love this letter that Paul wrote to his, um, uh, his protege, Timothy. And he, he's nearing the end of, of his life. And um, it comes from 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 12. And I don't want to just briefly start here today. I love this. He's writing this letter and he says, Do your best to come to me soon. For Demas in love with this present world has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me uh, for ministry. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. And I love one pastor describes this passage this way. It's like he's, he's, he's a quarterback and he's in the huddle and he's calling a play and he's like, you go down and make a button hook, turn right. You take the post route, go this way. And he's like commanding all of the people that have come behind him on where to go nearing the end of his life. And I love this picture of this man who invested so much into so many different people. And here towards the end of his life is kind of a very quick list of these people. He mentions them by name. Even one who he'd had a disagreement with. And in the moment that he's writing this letter to his protege, Timothy, Paul is rejecting the idea that it is all about me. He's rejecting the concept of the it's all about me life. And some people might argue that. They might say, but you know, Paul was really caught up in himself and he wanted all all of the glory. No, man, when you're at the end of your life and all you do is focus on those who have come behind you, you've rejected the it's all about me life. And I usually end with a question, but I want to begin with a question today. And I want to ask you the question, is there anyone coming behind you? I want you to ask yourself that question. Is there anyone that's coming behind me? Is there anyone, if I glance in my rearview mirror for a moment, not distracted, but just for a moment, if you glance in the rearview mirror, do you see someone who you have spiritually invested in, discipled, mentored, 
brought up in the faith. And today I want to wrestle with the question, if the answer to that question is perhaps no or not too many or I'm not really sure. I want us to wrestle with how we move away from the it's all about me type life, which is so prevalent in our society. And I think the answer is that we have to understand what it means to make it personal, to make life personal. Uh, I don't know about you, but when I stop to think about who may be coming after me, who may be behind me, who I've raised up, it causes me to think about those who poured into me spiritually. And so just for a moment here this morning, and we've done this throughout the years here at Hilton Head Island Community Church, for a moment, I want you to think about, and even if you have a piece of paper or a pen, or if you want to jot it down on your phone or your iPad or whatever you may have, I want you to, to, to bring to your memory the names of, of two or maybe three people who have poured into you in the past. Think about those names for a moment. My guess is, is if you're here today, whether you have someone who's coming behind you or not, you probably, if you're a Christ follower, you more than likely have people who have led you. You have people who you have followed that you've chosen to kind of hitch your wagon to who have poured into you over the years and they've invested in your spiritual life. I know I have them in, in my life. I've got several of them. I had a second grade teacher. I don't even know her name. I wish I did. One day in heaven, I'll, I hope to meet her. But I remember distinctly the day that she talked to our class. This was in a Christian school. And she talked to our class about what it means to put our faith in Jesus. And she actually prayed a prayer at the end of this time that she explained this. And I remember as, as a second grader responding in that moment and raising my hand and saying, yeah, I trust in Jesus. That was the first time I had heard it in church and I'd heard it around home. But that was the time that I said yes to Jesus. Man, I'm so thankful for her. Oh my goodness. I'm so thankful for her because she's the one that invited me to be introduced to Jesus. I want you to think about maybe the person that did that in your past. Maybe it was 10, 20 years ago. Maybe it was, I'm not going to say how many years ago for me. Maybe it was many decades ago for you. Maybe it was last week. But I bet there's someone who helped introduce you to Jesus. By the way, on, on Wednesday night, we have our, our Roots class, and we've been walking through a study called Just Walk Across the Room, and we went through this exercise as a class. I, I want to invite you. You guys can be at Roots, man. It's uh, Wednesday night, 630. It happens during the school year. We kicked off this past week, one week late, of course, because thanks to our hurricane, um, Dor Doreen, I think. I got the name wrong last week, evidently, but that's beside the point. I had another guy by the name of Mr. Bowman who poured into me, and Mr. Mr. Fleming, who poured into me in elementary, in my elementary school years. I had a guy by the name of Jeff Cranston, who poured into me when I was in high school. Some of you know Pastor Jeff. He was my spiritual dad, still is my spiritual dad in so many ways, and he poured into me when I was in high school, and he was one who was leading me, and I'm one of the people that's in his rearview mirror. Tim Elmore poured into me as a young adult, and then many people along the way, one, uh, our, our pastors in Atlanta, you guys are going to laugh at this, but our pastors in Atlanta, where Cynthia and I cut our teeth on ministry, their names were Ike and Mike. <laughs> our church had a lot of fun with that. I think they got handed those candies forever on the way out of, school, uh, out of church each day. 
Um, my mom and my grandmother prayed for my salvation. They prayed for my salvation. They prayed that I would answer the call to ministry. Now think about Gino standing up here, Andrew and Gino. I bet there were people in their life, some of whom they may not even know, they may not have even met, they may never get to meet, prayed for this day for them. Who's coming behind you? You see, at some point in time, we as Christ followers need to realize that it's my turn. It's my turn to look back and to look behind and find out if there's anyone that we are investing in that would come behind us. Are we making it personal? Are we making it personal? At some point, it becomes hard to invest in someone at the younger generation, but it is our job to do that, Christ follower. You see, somewhere around middle school, you and I, we, we all kind of develop this, this coping mechanism because life is hard, and the older we get, the harder life becomes, and the better we get at this coping mechanism. It's kind of an unspoken, unwritten coping mechanism, but we all do it. It's called, let's call it today, the shallow way. It's a shallow way that we kind of learn because we're humans. Now, I want you to hear me out. The shallow way has some positive things about it. Uh, sometimes the shallow way is necessary. The shallow way allows you to smile politely and make small talk and carry on with your day, even though you in the drive here had an argument with your spouse or your kids. It allows you to be able to get out of the car when life is tough and put a smile on and be okay. And sometimes the shallow way is necessary. Sometimes the shallow way is nice. It's what causes some of you who are serious about social media to, to, to move something in the background of a picture that you want to take so that on Instagram you look nice and pretty and everything is all clean, right? So sometimes the shallow way is nice. But over time we as people become a little bit too good at the shallow way. And we as Christ followers, especially, have to develop something that's different, that's not so shallow, that is something that's more intense. And if we really take a look at it, we begin to, to kind of like draw the contrast and we come with, the, with this idea that there's got to be a different way, the deep way, right? That's what we would normally think, the deep way, the deep way. It's got to be right. It's got to be different. It's the shallow, uh, shallow approach to life that can rob us of our potential to, to give someone else hope. And so we look for the deep way, but sometimes we can mask ourselves with deepness. In fact, religion has been a friend of the shallow way for centuries because it's kind of masked itself with deepness. And churches... We kind of write the ship of the shallow way with having a different culture. We might call it deep. But deep how? Deep in our understanding of theology, spiritual practice, understanding the details of all the things about what we're trying to learn in the church. We have this weird way of making the deeper way just another version of the shallow way, just a little bit in disguise. And so I want to suggest to you today that there's a better way, and that is the personal way, the personal way. 
See, it's not the shallow way, and it's not the deep way, but it's the personal way. And listen, church, I want you to understand that this is what Jesus did. Jesus decided that he would walk in the personal way. He demonstrated it with us. He demonstrated it to us. He talked about it. It's not the shallow way. It's not the deep way. It is the personal way. Think about it for a moment. Shallow is fast, but personal takes time. Shallow is easy. Personal can be very complicated. Shallow is safe. Personal is risky. Shallow is dismissive. Personal is honest. Shallow is familiar, personal is unpredictable. Shallow costs money, shallow costs money, personal costs me. But Jesus chose the personal way. He showed up in a culture that, that had this religiosity about it that was so incredibly intense, and he did things that were so counter culture of the day. And so many times he got personal. Just in God becoming human, he made it personal, didn't he? You see, Jesus became human to prove that God loves humans. Jesus became human to show humans how to love God. And Jesus became human to show humans how to love other humans. Jesus chose the personal way. But why is that the case? Because Jesus didn't see humans the way that the world sees humans. He saw us differently. He saw us in a unique and in a fresh way. He saw us with potential. He honored those who were disgraced. He befriended those who were marginalized. He embraced those who were rejected. And he forgave those who were shunned. He believed in those who were broken. See, all those things sound to me a lot like the opposite of the shallow way. Jesus made it personal. And one of the most personal stories that we see is from Luke chapter 19, 1 through 10. It's a story about a guy that probably you're familiar with his name. A lot of you will be familiar with this story because you might have heard it in church or you might have heard it on, I don't know, Veggie Tales or something like that. It's a guy by the name of Zacchaeus. And I want to read about Zacchaeus and the story of him meeting Jesus. Check this out in Luke 19, 1 through 10. And he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was of small stature. I know the feeling. <laughs> he was short. All right, so anyway, verse 4. So he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the, that place, he looked up and he said, Zacchaeus, Hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, and I want you to miss that word. He hurried and he came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. 
Man, don't you love this? I, every time something's happening good in the Bible, there's always this hum of grumbling in the background. Like when Nehemiah rebuilt the wall, there was grumbling, right? When Jesus like turned water into wine, there was grumbling. When he's talking to this man named Zacchaeus, there's grumbling. They all grumbling and said, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. They couldn't believe that this rabbi would do that, right? And Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also the son of Abraham, a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love this story. I love this story. It's not just a cute kids like Sunday school story that you saw like on a felt board or on Veggie Tales. Like this is a story of Jesus. This is not one of his parables. This is a man who actually desired to see Jesus. Now I want you to get the picture of this. Zacchaeus was, was someone who was, had a terrible reputation. As a tax collector, he would keep, if someone owed a dollar to the government, he would collect two and you know what he would do with one? He'd keep it. That's what tax collectors were. They had t a terrible reputation. He was essentially a, a scam artist, an approved scam artist. And this man had heard about Jesus, and his curiosity was piqued. Now, someone like Zacchaeus probably had a little bit of pride based on what we know about tax collectors in that day and age. But he had heard about Jesus, and he swallowed his pride enough to climb up onto a tree and to run and see Jesus. There were two things that men, especially prideful men of that day and age, didn't do. One was they didn't show their legs. Sorry, that's the way it was in that day and age. And by Zacchaeus getting up into that tree, essentially he was saying, I am so intent on finding this one that I've heard that is changing the world that I don't care about that. And the second thing that men never did in that day and age was run. Sounds pretty good to me. <laughs> they didn't run. They never rushed to anything. But it says that Zacchaeus rushed to see Jesus. And that would have been shocking to the people who watched this happen. Like, hey, did you hear about Zacchaeus? Man, he got up in the tree, showed his legs. It ain't pretty. Like, he ran to see Jesus. That was less pretty. Like, this guy is really, like, he is really pushing the limit. But what have really would have shocked the culture of that day was Jesus' response. He would have completely shocked everyone everyone when he looked at him and he says i in verse five zacchaeus hurry and come down for i must stay at your house and then in verse nine when he says today salvation has come to this house now, i love this i love this story but it causes us to question, why would Jesus show favor to someone like Zacchaeus, this sinner who had a terrible reputation? How could Jesus not know what this man had done to so many families to rip them off? What good could come from spending time with the most dishonest man in 
Jericho. The thing is, is Jesus engaged with this man Zacchaeus because Jesus saw people differently. <clears throat> he always did. He sees you differently, and he sees me differently. He saw Zacchaeus differently. See, when the crowd looked at Zacchaeus, they saw a man who was driven by personal greed. When the crowd saw Zacchaeus, they saw an individual who would use anyone to get ahead. When the crowd saw Zacchaeus, they saw someone who had hurt and harmed their community. What Jesus saw when he saw Zacchaeus was intrinsic worth. When Jesus saw Zacchaeus, he saw an individual who reflected God's image. And he saw someone who had fascinating abilities and potential. See, Jesus never let the conventional wisdom of the day or public opinion sway him or change him. Maybe Jesus chose Zacchaeus in front of everyone to prove exactly what could happen with anyone who is treated like someone God loves. The way that Jesus saw Zacchaeus ultimately changed the way that everyone saw Zacchaeus in that community. Think about that for a moment. It's true. Better yet, the way that Jesus saw Zacchaeus personally changed the way Zacchaeus saw himself. And so Jesus treated people differently. And Zacchaeus, from Zacchaeus' perspective, this one that he had heard about that had done these things, that had performed these miracles, that came claiming to be the son of the God, the way, the truth, and the life, ended up looking at him, calling him out, and said, I am going to your house. And in that moment when he says, today salvation has come to your house, Jesus changed his life. You see, the gospel was meant to be personal. And in this case, that's what, Zac that's what Jesus did. He looked at a man who no one personally wanted to be around. And he reached out. And he became personal. He made the gospel personal. See, Zacchaeus had lost his sense of identity, and Jesus changed that. Zacchaeus had lost his sense of belonging, and by Jesus getting personal, Zacchaeus, he changed that in Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus had lost his sense not only of belonging and not only had lost his identity, but he had lost his purpose. And Jesus came in and interrupted his life and became personal. And Zacchaeus then found his hope because Jesus brought hope. You see, we as the church, we need to learn to be more like Jesus in this that we need to make it personal. We need to move from a place of sensing that it's all about me to a place where we say it's not about me and I need to make my faith personal by finding someone to pour into that's coming behind me. That's what Jesus showed us. In church, we collectively need to make it personal. We need to be people who make the gospel personal to the next generation. 
That's our job. We talk a lot about heritage around here, but I don't know about you, but in this community, I see a lot of people when it comes to church just kind of sitting over here in the it's all about me kind of category, just kind of like, you know, let, let, me, let me make it about me. Let me, let me have my little taste of what Jesus has done in my life and what I'm getting out of it and what I'm receiving. And I, I want, you know, this kind of like study or group or whatever because it's really all about me Church, that needs to change. And it changes when we choose to step from the idea that it is all about me to a place where we get involved in the lives of people, specifically the next generation. See, the church needs more leaders who learn to be personal because too many students, too many kids at a younger age are dealing with things that leave them feeling invisible and ignored. There's an epidemic in our world today of bullying, emotional abuse, depression, self-harm, and suicide, especially among kids and teenagers. You start diving into the statistics, it's staggering. If we think these issues are going to be resolved by deeper Bible studies and deeper worship songs and deeper theological debates, then we are actually choosing the shallow way. See, the legacy of a great church will not be measured by how many show up Sunday morning, but by how many people come on Sunday and actually choose to invest in someone's life. That's the measure of a church. It is. That's the measure of a church. See, gravity pulls us to the shallow way. It pulls us to the shallow way. We can easily convince ourselves of the need to add followers, build a platform, teach a lesson, but none of those things matter if we don't choose to make it personal. And Hilton Head Island Community Church, now's our time. Now's our time to make it personal in the life of someone who's coming behind us. Now's our time. This is our chance. A few years ago, we brought Justin Boyder here to be our student pastor. He's killing it, doing an amazing job. So proud of you, Justin, just like Gino and Andrea, man, doing an amazing job. Andrea is coming on board now. She's, Leslie's passed the torch to her. She's leading our, our, our kids' ministry, and we've kind of reformatted things to look at our, our, our student ministry and our kids' ministry from zero to 18 as one ministry area called Next Gen Ministries. And listen, I want you to hear that someone is out there that needs for you to see them. They're hungry for someone to invest in them. And you may start thinking like I do, I'm too old, I'm too gray. That's starting to happen to me now. I'm not this enough, I'm not that enough. They're simply looking for someone who has gone down the road before to make an investment in them. They need you to see the everyday, they need you to see the everyday world that is defining them. They need you to see the private doubts that are paralyzing them. They need you to see the potential future that is waiting for them and they need you to do what Jesus did 
for Zacchaeus. You can be personal with a, you can't be personal with a crowd, but you can be personal with a person. And that's what Jesus did. He chose to get out of the crowd and to invest in someone's life personally. Church, it's time for us to move from the it's all about me life and to make it personal. It's time for us to take up that mantle of leadership. I want to encourage you. Justin's going to talk about it here in a moment, but the beginning of us as a church taking seriously this next generation relies on you and on me beginning to take this personal. And tonight, tonight, and we have the opportunity to do that. Um, it's, it's a night, it's our volunteer kickoff. It's really a night for Justin and for Andrea to share their vision for next-gen ministry. This is a big move. It's a big move. And I don't know about you, I, like, I love entrepreneurial stuff. What a great time to jump in and get involved. To look back and to say, hey, I was there when we started to do this a little bit differently. I was there. I joined. I, I jumped in. I want to encourage you that tonight is, is, is not a time for you to sign on the dotted line. Tonight, you're not going to sign your name up and, and you know, you're committing to being here for 30 hours a week every week. All right, It's not that at all. Time for you if God is prompting you even right now. If maybe you really thought for a moment and looked behind you and there's not too many people following. Tonight is a night for you to find out more. Find out how you can get involved in the next-gen ministry. Because, you know, so much depends on it. So much depends on it. If I had not had that second-grade teacher in my life, I don't know where I'd be today. If I had not had a mom and a grandmother praying for me, I don't know where I'd be today. If I had not had a guy by the name of Bowman, his last name is Bowman, invest in me, and a guy by the last name of Fleming who invest in, invested in me um, uh, personally when I was in, in uh, older elementary school, or a guy by the name of Jeff Cranston who was my spiritual dad and began to develop me, I don't know where I would be. But I had someone, many someones, and you did too, I bet, who made the decision I'm going to choose to reject the it's all about me life. And I'm going to choose to make the gospel personal. Church, let's consider what our role is in that. Let us not ignore God's Holy Spirit moving in our lives. Let us reach this next generation for him. Father God, I pray right now in the strong name of Jesus that you would be with us. Everyone who's within the sound of my voice, whether they're listening live online or whether they're here in this room today, God, and let us take serious inventory. Not just a glance, but seriously take inventory of who is coming behind us. And God, I pray that right now your Holy Spirit would remove any doubt that there may be people in this room who are right now thinking that they can't, that they're too this, that they're too that, that they're not enough this, that they're not enough that. In the, in the strong name of Jesus, I pray that you would just cast all those doubts away. God, I thank you for the men 
who, some of whom are older than I am, who are investing spiritually in my son's life right now. They're in this room, and I'm so thankful for them. And I thank you for the women who some of whom are older than me and Cynthia who are investing in my daughter's life spiritually. But God, right now, as your Holy Spirit prompts, I pray that we wouldn't ignore that. Father, as your Holy Spirit leads, I pray that we would be people who would be so open to listening to you, not me, but open to listening to you and what you're saying in the quietness of our heart right now that we would move off of the platform of this it's all about me life and move over to making it personal like you did with Zacchaeus. God, thank you for loving each one of us in that same way, that way that you showed when you reached out to Zacchaeus. Thank you for bringing salvation to his house. God, thank you for bringing it to my house. And God, we as your church, we thank you for bringing it to our house. Now may we answer the call that you have for us to make it personal in the life of someone in the next generation. I pray this all in the strong and the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.